ho ho, it's me, Harry Dean Stanton, back at it again with a new episode of the Boy Time Podcast, and as always, I'm joined by Babby. Mm. Whoa, that one was aggressive. Uh, <laughs> we're back, uh, as always, with a slam dunk episode of the Boy Time Podcast. Gonna be wrapping up the Desert Marathon, or last week of that. We've been finding a lot of success with it. I would say movies set in the desert, pretty good on average. But there have been some stinkers, and I think most of them have come from this week, unfortunately. But we'll get there when we get there. But first off, we do have some gaming news. Um, That whole Xbox thing we talked about last week's not going to happen yet. And we don't really know what it is. It might be something more like they're going to be opening up exclusives for PlayStation, uh, or it's nothing. I guess that's always the two options when any company announces anything, is that it's either something or not. That's just life. That's life, I guess, in general, yeah. Everything is either something or not. I think Einstein said that. Mm Mm-hmm. But there is some gaming news that is uh, a little icky that is uh, Disney-related and that Disney bought, uh, I think, $1.5 billion worth of shares in Epic Games. Um, I saw Bob Iger had, like, a statement where he was like, yeah, you know, like, we did, like, this, like, focus test, and it turns out that Gen Z and millennials and gen alpha like almost exclusively get their media consumption through interactive media and not from tv shows and movies and i'm like bob (laughs) (laughs) i I don't know what rock he's been living under but also keep in mind this is the guy that shut down disney interactive studios when there was a bunch of um projects and the works there and he also shut down LucasArts which was you know one of the oldest and they had some classics in their in their belt shut them down and replaced it and they didn't have a replacement until like a couple years ago when they replaced it with Lucasfilm Games one of the worst titles or one of the worst name changes LucasArts is perfect Lucasfilm Games is confusing. <laughs> I don't understand. Um, but even then, you've barely gotten anything out of them. Uh, they even outsourced the new Indiana Jones game to Bethesda. It's like, well, this is so weird. Why does this even exist? So instead of bringing back the studios that were making things that people were buying, they said, eh, you know what? Let's just put a bunch of money into Epic and basically set up uh, a world in Fortnite that I guess is just going to be all Disney. Um, There was like a photo that was accompanying this uh, like announcement that was like a bunch of like different islands. There was like a Star Wars island and a Marvel island and uh, like a Pixar, I think. And then there was, I don't remember... What else there was? There was maybe a Mickey one. I don't remember. But I think this is like with that whole Fortnite thing where they like, 
there's a bunch of like different games in Fortnite where there's like Lego Fortnite now. And, uh, I don't, I don't remember. Is there racing? Is the racing in Fortnite? I think so. I don't, I don't play Fortnite, so I don't know. I don't either. I just know that they like just did a thing where they were like, there was three new games in Fortnite that are like their own separate thing. And I think this is a part of that. But now there's just like basically a, a Disney installation in Fortnite that um, I guess it's going to be kind of comparable to like what like a Disney Infinity was back in the day where it was like more or less a platform for Disney to advertise whatever they're making these days. So if a new uh, Marvel thing happens, uh, put put stuff like that in Fortnite. And so then the kids will see it and want to go see the movie. I don't know. I'm not a business. Cross platform marketing. Exactly. I'm not a businessman. So I don't know too much about that, but I just, I was just kind of sad. Basically these worlds work in numbers and the more numbers you get, the better you are, no matter how those numbers show up or why they show up. Yeah, if they see true. that number go up because of certain characters in Fortnite, they will base their entire business model <laughs> and like cross integrating every single possible thing they can do. That's fair. That's fair. It's just yeah. Now it's just like well, Fortnite already was just like a yes giant billboard, but now yeah. it's just like this is Disney's Fortnite. Like this, is, <laughs> what kind of dystopian hellhole are we living in? Yep. Um. But there is, uh, I will say, I have uh, Grammarly on my web browser. Um, and uh, I will say that the statement that Disney released uh, has nine things that Grammarly picked up on. So That's crazy. I know. I didn't have any in this document. They fired their notes. proofreaders so they can buy part of Fortnite. <laughs> I guess so. Although it seems like most of them are just include an Oxford comma. Yes. Yeah. But still, a proofreader should do that for you. So you would think they are missing a step. They are. I don't. I don't get it. But here, here's what they um, said: uh, the new persistent universe will offer a multitude of opportunities for consumers. Always, <laughs> always a good sign for consumers, for consumers. <laughs> to play, watch, shop, and engage with content, characters, and stories from Disney, Pixar, wow. Marvel, Star Wars, Avatar. That was that. Yeah, there's going to be an. Avatar I'm just so there. shocked that they didn't say player and they said consumer. Oh yeah, like the- <laughs> they're playing a they're playing a video game. No, they're consumers. That's insane. This is like when like the metaverse was like just starting to be a thing. Yeah. That's like the kind of language we're getting here, but it's for Fortnite. Yeah, it's really strange. <laughs> it's like children. You're talking about children. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, here he is. Players, gamers, and fans ah. will be able to create their own stories and experiences, express their fandom in a distinctly Disney way, and share content with each other in ways that they love. This wall be hitting the orange justice on each other. <laughs> I can't After wait. After Ariel like bodies uh, <laughs> the dog from Toy Story. <laughs> wait, Sid's dog. <laughs> Oh, or that's even better. Dog. I was going for the slinky dog. <laughs> oh. 
I'm like, that's a really good skin, actually. If you do like the actual like (laughs) '90s like like animation graphics, the 3D animation they did. See, that's what Fortnite needs. Everything's like too polished and shells that cell shaded. You know, make something wonky and weird. Yeah. Make the dog from Toy Story one. That's what I want. That weird. I don't even know what kind of dog that is. Uh. It's that one generic dog. dog. It's that one that like looks messed up. Like yeah. the, the target dog. <laughs> yeah. That one. I don't know what that breed of dog is called. Are. And then they're going to have to like make it a biped because it's got to go to normal hitboxes like Peter Griffin. Yeah. They're going to make it really swole. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I read that and I kind of died a little bit. Because, um, like, all right, sweet. And I do like that under that they had to they had to include this will all be powered by the Unreal Engine. We know. Okay, yeah. <laughs> now you own that Disney. Cool. But I think that's like, by the way, we own Unreal Engine now. <laughs> yeah. It's like, all right, cool. But I also want to say that this is probably not going to be limited to Fortnite, obviously. Yeah. Uh I saw Rocket League has um packs for the Mandalorian season three that came out last year, maybe a year ago. Um, so yeah, this is not going to just be limited to Fortnite. It's probably going to, uh, infect all of these kitty games, maybe for uh, fall guys, it's fall guys, fall guys. epics it's, uh, on Epic. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. And those are big with kids and cross promotion. Yeah, I know. I know. It's just weird. This is like kind of directly targeting children with advertising and you don't have to work with like the FTC. And yeah. uh, not to mention like you're further monopolizing your already monopolized company. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is a part of it, too. So, yeah, I think this has more repercussions for the gaming industry than whatever Xbox has cooked up. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a little unfortunate. So we'll see what happens with that. Is Fortnite going to, I guess kids are still going to play it, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I know there's adults that play Fortnite and I don't know if this is, I don't think it's going to kill that audience either. It's just kind of sad. Like the people who are adults that still play Fortnite are the kind of people that are into Funko Pops and Marvel movies, so this might be a good uh, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a good true. target market to, to corner. That is true. That's a good point. So, yeah. That's a thing that we're just going to have to deal with. Remember when Fortnite was a single player game about surviving uh, zombie invasions? (laughs) (laughs) That's what was weird was like in 2019 or 2018, I was working at a Jimmy John's and just out of high school. And I was talking to one of the managers there and he's like, it's so weird. Fortnite was blowing up. I have the physical copy of it because I bought it when it was. Uh, like there's this base building zombie survival game and I didn't really like it that much. Well, you should hold on to that. That's a relic. It really is. I don't even think you can play that mode anymore. I think it's gone. They delete it. I probably, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think anybody would care on us. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I, the uh... game was a dud until they got really lucky. 
when they hopped on the Battle Royale craze. Yeah. Once PUBG came out, and they're like, let's do that. Well, PUBG wasn't the first one, but it was the biggest one. No, it was H1Z1. That's true. That's the OG. <laughs> Rust. No, that's different. That's, yeah. That's survival. I just always, I like the name Rust. Rust and Scum are Rust. the best. I don't know anything. I've never played either of them, but they just have really cool names. But I think that's it for news this week. We haven't had a whole lot of stuff, unless you count the Coyote versus Acme stuff that's going on. We'll I don't, see how that plays out. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anything's going to happen. Like, no. I think that this is just interesting in that it's like, because this is like, we got two really bad companies here and that it's Disney and Warner Brothers were kind of in the news this week. And I think it was, I don't know if it was ever set in stone. I, I guess it wasn't, but it was like kind of like, okay, well, they're, they're selling this movie that they were going to shelve or not even shelve, just like basically delete it so they get a uh, in the lower tax bracket, I think. I don't know how all that works. But um, they were like, okay, well, we're going to open it up so that if someone else wants to buy it from us, then they can. And I think they were originally going to sell it to Netflix. That's what I had heard was that Netflix was going to buy Coyote versus Acme. Um and then I guess that didn't happen. But what's interesting is that I have seen uh, statements from filmmakers that I respect that have seen this movie and have said that it's really good. Like Daniels like tweeted something this week saying they saw like an advanced screening of it and said that it was like really inventive and weird. I'm like, well, if they're saying that, then it probably is <laughs> kind of interesting. Because they're known for making weird and distinct movies. Um, they won a bunch of Oscars last year because they were weird and distinct. And I saw, I think I saw something from Phil Lord um, who said something similar. So it's like, and I mean, I respect Phil Lord as an artist, not so much as a director, because it turns out he's not very good at... Uh, I don't really know how to describe it. Treating his employees well, <laughs> letting them have time off. Um, so, but I mean, he's made some of the best, him and Chris Miller have made some of the best comedies of the last 20 years. So if he says that this Coyote versus Acme movie is pretty solid, I am inclined to believe him. But it's just kind of sad that Warner Brothers has found this loophole I guess, where they can create or fund something and then thousands of people will work on it because that I think it's like one of those hybrid CG live action movies. So there's like a lot of animation that went into it. So just a bunch of people working on this movie and they finish it and then Warner Brothers can just say, actually, we're just going to get rid of this whole thing because we want a tax write-off. It's like, that feels gross. I don't know if I have to say feels. It is gross. Um, but that's the state of art. 
is that art can be used as a tax write-off, which I guess it always could be, but yeah, it's just so explicit. This is like on such a big scale. It's weird. These companies are so big now that they don't really need to worry about any of this. That's true. That's true. I, I, now you kind of like don't have a choice. Yeah, that's true. You either go to one of the big bad guys or nobody watches your movie. Yeah. Or it gets your streaming service as those continue to bundle together into just a bigger and bigger conglomerate. It's true. Yeah, it, it's interesting how we're kind of moving towards everything bundling together because that's how it's it was in the beginning. Well, that's yeah. how it works. Everything's going to monopolize. Well, yeah, but it's just like in the beginning it was Netflix and that was it. Yeah. And then everybody started making their own. And then I think people were just like stretched thin. And now they're like starting to m- move in together. I just like, oh, okay. Why There's not? a market <laughs> to tap. The market gets tapped. The big players come in and buy everybody out. A lot of ones die out. And then you're left with two choices again. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of interesting how that it's, trend yeah. goes. So, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I think they said that they were going to sell the Coyote versus Acme. I think the the MSRB is uh, $70 million, something like that, that ballpark. Although I have also heard that I think some people have made offers similar to that, and then Warner Brothers is just not returning the calls pretty much, basically saying that they're – publicly saying, well, you can buy it, but then they're just not. So I don't know if that's true, but just kind of interesting, the state of the world today. But speaking of the state of the world today, let's talk about some movies that take place in the desert. Um, And not today. No, not today. I think the most recent one out of this bunch came out in the early 90s. Um. So not today at all, Um, but kind of interesting. A lot of interesting movies, although one of them is awful, in my humble opinion, but they're all beloved in their own little ways. I guess we'll start, let's go worst to best. I think that's what we'll do because um, I have a bone to pick with Easy Rider. Um a movie I knew nothing about except it was in the Criterion collection. And I'm like, well, that's a good sign. And I have seen people, uh, you know, celebrate this movie for being this great psychological, you know, movie. And I hated it, uh, a lot. And that it was, about 30 minutes of content that was stretched out to an hour and a half. And then the rest of that to fill time was just two guys on a motorcycle while an entire 60s rock song played front to back. It seems w- awesome. <laughs> it was awful. It was the worst. Um, although it was kind of interesting because the movie starts with the entirety of Born to be Wild. And I didn't know that that song came out in the 60s. I don't know. I always assumed that that song came out in like the 80s. But maybe I'm getting that confused with Bad to the Bone. Kind of similar song. But one of them is made by Duran Duran, I think. 
and I don't know who made Born to be Wild. But, yeah, it's it's kind of awful. I can describe the entire plot of this movie in, like, two minutes because it's just two guys, and they're trying to sell drugs, and so they start their journey in Los Angeles, California, at the airport, and then they're driving from there to New Orleans to get to Mardi Gras, so that they can sell drugs at Mardi Gras. Why wouldn't you just sell drugs in L.A.? That's a great question. I don't know. They never... This movie sucks. They never elaborate what happens. There's like four scenes where people talk to each other, and the rest of it is just driving motorcycle while an entire rock song plays, and it's just like cutting to just random shots of these two guys on their motorcycles, on their Harleys. And it's just like, I don't care about these people at all. They could all get run over by a truck and I would feel nothing because there's there's just nothing. This movie is just empty. But it does have Jack Nicholson in it, which is notable only because somehow Jack Nicholson made his way into this marathon twice. And I didn't know that he was in any movies on this marathon. And I'm like, it's just amazing that the movies that have Jack Nicholson in them are not very good because he's fantastic. But I think they squander his potential in this movie because he's only in it for like 20 minutes. He's like one of the people they meet on the road. Uh, He gets them out of jail and then they go to like the next town over on a motorcycle, but it takes like, you know, six minutes in real life because they have to play two rock songs in between when they pick Jack Nicholson up and when they get to the next town over. And then they sit in a diner and uh, one of the guys has long hair and they're in the Bible Belt in the South and all of the people are like, oh, these guys, they're, they're probably homosexuals. We should kill them. So they kill Jack Nicholson, even though Jack Nicholson is not the one who has long hair. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> this movie is so dumb. This is awesome. This is the kind of movie where I feel like you can go, hell yeah, every like five minutes. It's that kind of movie. Yeah. And I will say, I know exactly the type of people that like this movie because there was an unofficial sequel made around five years ago now that is like one of the worst rated things on Letterboxd. It has like a one point something on Letterboxd. Um, And it's made by, like, some super patriotic guy who's like, we're going to trace the lineage of the... There's this one of the guys that is on the motorcycle. They call him Captain America. Uh, On his leather jacket, he has this giant, like, American flag on his back. And then, like, his helmet has, like, American flags on it. Um... And so it's basically that guy's character and it's like from the civil, wait, from World War II to like now. And then they're like taking a look at like the generations of this guy trying to find America. And it's, if it has a 1.7, you know exactly what America they're trying to find. That's all I'm going to say. This this movie appeals to Nazis. I, I don't, I don't. I don't feel comfortable saying that because this movie was made. It's like a, don't worry, I'm going to be saying the same thing later. Okay, sweet. 
Oh, okay. I understand. I know what's coming then. <laughs> um, I don't want to say that because it's a hippie movie. And I mean that literally. It was made in the late 60s. Um, I think maybe why this movie is just like, you know, 70% dudes riding motorcycles is because everybody was high as shit while making it. And that's not something I have to imply. I've <laughs> just like, this one's awesome. like everybody was just baked. Like the two guys <laughs> are constantly high and like, I was just like, okay, what's happening? What is this movie? Cause like I couldn't help but be on my phone I, the whole time during this movie. I was like, what is, I don't care. <laughs> Just gonna, I'm gonna look some stuff up about this movie, and there's like a couple scenes where they're like, you know, in between them riding motorcycles and getting killed by racist rednecks, they're um, camping out together and they're just clearly stoned and like they're actually smoking weed uh, on camera, which I'm kind of surprised they were able to do in the late sixties. Sixties. That's true, but it's just like. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and yeah, so it's just like, I think everybody was baked while they were making it. And it's funny, like they were like, there's also a scene at the end where they take LSD. And like, I saw an interview from the time. They were like, don't worry, we weren't actually taking LSD. But yeah, we were just getting baked all the time. And like, we actually did get Jack Nicholson stoned. <laughs> And like, I think, I think they may have actually like pushed Jack Nicholson too far. Cause there's a part where like, he's like, he's giving like this nervous rant about aliens and like, he like starts breaking down and like, I read some stuff after it and they're like, we really wanted to get him stoned. Like we were pressuring him like a lot. And I'm like, this feels weird. <laughs> Cause like <laughs> Jack Nicholson is uncomfortably high while acting. Um, and it's just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, yeah, this is, it's the type of movie that like your racist uncle would like. Uh, that's the vibe. Um, and I did not like it very much. I went into it being like, oh, it's a counterculture movie. That's going to be fun. I consider myself a counterculturist. If that's a word. That. <laughs> I don't know. I, I like the hippies. I can get down and dirty with anti-war stuff. Let's let's go. Let's go on an easy ride. No, not quite. I get what they were trying to do. They were obviously doing something with, like, they're trying to find America, and the America they're finding is racist and homophobic, and the only good people that they happen across on their trip are hippies that are all free love and... I don't necessarily want to say communist, but that way adjacent. I get what they're doing. It's just really boring, and I hated it. So that's my opinion of Easy Rider. Sorry to all of the Easy Rider stands out there. I know you're out there somewhere. Probably not listening to podcasts. Probably too busy tuning up your Harley. Or hitting that toke. Or token that something I was trying to think of the weirdest <laughs> token. token that booth chief yeah, yeah. in that doink 
I don't know. I feel like this movie appeals to, to, yeah, just the wrong people these days. I don't know. So there's that. Uh, the, the, yeah, I think this week goes from bad to mid to phenomenal. Uh, mid was the hills have eyes. Um, I think this movie is kind of interesting and that it's a really early Wes Craven movie who I know John Carpenter has his Twitter handle as like the master of horror, but if we're being real, like Wes Craven probably is, um, made two of like the big five major film franchises, Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream. And Scream is like, so like, he has like such a mastery of that genre that Scream was like the first one to like be like a meta horror. Maybe not the first one, but the first mainstream one. And so like, this is kind of interesting and it's really early. It's like 1977. It's like really early in Wes Craven's career. Uh, but it's very, very clearly a Texas Chainsaw Massacre like ripoff. In the same way that, like, Friday the 13th is a Halloween ripoff. Um, yeah, it's just... It's fine. It's barely a road trip movie, but it does take place all in the desert, so I still count it. But this one is just... There's a family that is trying to go... I don't remember where they're going, but they're trying to get to Los Angeles. All of these movies have to have to take place in Los Angeles because that's where all the movies are Yeah. They're trying to get to LA and so they are stranded out in, uh, what is it, Death Valley? That's around there. Yeah. I think that's around there. In Southern California. Yeah. And they're, they're on their way to LA, but the grandpa, yeah, the grandpa is a, a retired cop from Cleveland uh, who, <laughs> um, he said that every day on the force N words would throw spears at him and rednecks would throw dogs at him, which frankly, throw a dog. I don't know. That was the weirdest part. I'm like, <laughs> who's throwing a dog and what part of Cleveland are you living in or are you, uh, protecting and serving in? I should say. Uh, it was just kind of weird, but they're taking a detour from them going to Cleveland, LA. They're going North through the desert because the grandpa heard a rumor that there is a silver mine in the mountains. And I guess he was going to mine for a minute. I don't know. I don't know what he was trying to get. There was just a silver mine and he wants to get some silver, but it's just like classic spirit of the, the Californian. I guess. It's just, it's so, why would you do that? It's like, even if there was, like, say, say, you know, you're like, okay, we're going to be moving across the country. We're going from all the way out east to all the way out west. But I heard a rumor that there's a gold mine that has untapped riches. Are you going to take a detour from when you're moving? You have all your moving trailer. You got everything. You're going to stop and mine for a minute? Like, why wouldn't you just go to the place that you're going to move to, unpack, settle like in? Minecraft. 
I, I guess. I don't know. In 1977, they were getting ready yeah. to play Minecraft. It's just weird. I don't know. They didn't have any mining equipment, so I don't know what they were trying to do. I don't understand. I don't understand the motivation of this family at all. Um, but they're trying to get to this silver mine. But, uh-oh, uh, this this totally plays into, like, the, the nuclear panic of the Cold War because they're like... Uh, we're driving through the desert. We're trying to get to a silver mine. Uh-oh, there's a B-2 bomber that's flying above us. This is a nuclear test site. And I guess the U.S. government is still exploding nuclear bombs in the desert in the 70s? Oh, we know they work. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they did that that late. I don't think so. Um, no. But yeah, they, they drop. It's not a nuclear bomb. But it's uh, I don't know. It's a big bomb. It has a mushroom tactical cloud. Nuke. It's a tactical nuke. There we go. Uh, basically, it spooks the grandpa so much that he starts careening all over the place, and then they crash their car, and everyone's fine, but they're stranded out in the desert with no one around them. They're not even close to the the silver mine, so they. They can't even go mining for a minute. Uh, they are just stuck in the middle of the desert. And wouldn't you know it, those damn hills have eyes. And no way. Yeah, they're a bunch of weirdo cannibal freaks. Basically exactly what happens in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, except I think this movie didn't make me feel as gross as that movie does. Um I will say it's probably about as gory as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is, which really isn't that gory. Uh, I think that's kind of a, uh, uh, I don't know, a misconception about that movie is that it's a big splat gore fest. You would think so with a name like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but that movie was made in 74, and so they didn't really have what you would need to make a proper splat fest. Maybe some of the newer ones are, I don't know. I haven't seen those. I've just seen the original one. Didn't like it very much. And I didn't like this movie very much either because it is very much trying to do that same thing where it's a bunch of weirdos, except now it isn't in Texas. It's in the desert and like a big Rocky, you know, like a desert mountains that those kinds of that location, Mesa, if you will, uh, which is kind of interesting, but it just kind of boils down to a bunch of cannibals picking off each member of the family one by one. They There's a baby that's the granddaughter, and they're going to eat the baby, but they don't end up eating the baby. And um, yeah, it's pretty cool, I guess, if you're into that sort of thing. I'm not. You know, I don't really like these types of like proto slasher movies. I don't really like slasher movies in general, but especially these early ones. Uh, it's just kind of gross and uh, I don't much care for it. So sorry, the hills have eyes stands. I don't know if there's any of those. Um, I think in terms of like early Wes Craven stuff like this one is known but I don't think it's like I think like his most popular one of this era is like Last House on the Left I've, I've heard that one brought up a lot but also I don't know I haven't seen that one either but 
Now I'm getting close. I need to watch all of the Scream movies now. So I've heard those are actually pretty solid. Uh, it's funny because like that, that happened after Wes Craven retired from doing horror. And then he's just like, actually, I'm going to make a bunch of horror movies and they're all going to be the same thing. But the first one has Matthew Lillard in it. So it's a great movie. That's what I always say. Anyways. Anyways, let's talk about the last movie we're going to talk about. It is Paris, Texas. A phenomenal movie. I went in expecting to be, it was really artsy, very pretentious type movie. Because those are the type of people that I see that really like this movie. Are those type of avant-garde weirdos, you know, that'll... I'll let myself out. Oh, you know what? Sometimes they're right. And this time they're definitely right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. This movie is great. Um, phenomenal, even astounding. I would go so far to say, but yeah, I usually hate these types of overly pretentious, overly artsy type movies. Um, cause I, I'm I'm kind of a structure man. I need there to be a, a solid story as a base before you can kind of go off and do the artsy stuff for me. Um, and I know, and sometimes, you know, these artsy movies, they don't really have that base and it's just, let's explore these big concepts. But I have no reason to really connect to any of these characters because it's just all concept. That's kind of my problem with a lot of like David Lynch's stuff is that he has all these great ideas, but not enough like structure for me, except for something like the straight story. That's like a more conventional movie that he made. I haven't seen the elephant man, but I've heard similar things about that one. So I don't know, but this movie is it's kind of straightforward. Um, it follows this guy named Travis, and he's just basically wandering around in the Texas desert. See, I, I have to make up for last week because Mad Max 1 doesn't have anything to do with the desert. So I, I really have to overemphasize that all of these movies take place in the desert. Uh, but yeah, basically he's uh, lost all of his memories, and he's just been wandering the Texas desert for like four years. Um, and basically he is like found by like a small town doctor and basically gets a hold of his brother and his brother comes out and gets him. And so the rest, the whole movie is basically this character exploration of this guy, Travis, like, well, how did he lose all of his memories? And it, like, he's been gone for four years. And when he left, he had a four-year-old kid. Well, now the kid's eight. And uh, he thinks that uh, his brother and his brother's wife are his parents. Because, basically, they took care of him while he was wandering the desert. And his girlfriend kind of just, like, left the kid in their care. And so there's just like a lot of these like big questions where it's like, Oh, well we're trying to get this whole picture of who this guy is. And like for the first hour of this movie, he doesn't talk. Um, 
he's just completely mute. And eventually he like relearns how to talk over the course of the movie. And it's just, it's very, it's very, very good because, you know, you really care for this guy. And, uh, especially as you learn more about him, you know, uh, you learn, well, he's like, well, I really, he starts stepping up and he like starts becoming a dad to his kid. And there's some conflict there because the kid's, I guess, foster mom, like was like, oh, well, Travis is dead. You know, he's been out of our lives for four years. This is, this is my kid. So there's some tension there between, you know, the kids wanting to, to interact with his real dad. And, you know, Travis obviously wants to be in his life. But the, the mom is like, well, I don't want him to take the kid away from me. So it's really sad. That part's sad. And it only gets worse because then Travis is like, well, I'm going to try to find my girlfriend now. Because the brother's like, hey, I got some Super 8 footage of this uh, vacation we went to down in Houston. Uh, wouldn't you want to see it? And it's the whole family, and they're all happy. And it's just like, well, how did what happened? What happened? And uh, there's just this really, really great uh, part towards the end, uh, which I guess we can go into spoilers because this is a marathon, and theoretically you're supposed to be watching these movies with me. I know um, I did. I know. I, I. That's what I think is a problem with this format is that I think I did too many movies. So sorry about that. I realize that it is unrealistic for most people to watch three movies a week. So going forward, I think most marathons will just be one because that'll be easier for most people that aren't me. Um, so Sorry. But I guess if you do, I would highly, highly recommend Paris, Texas if you are interested. Um, maybe skip ahead 10 minutes, if that. Maybe five minutes. I'll try to keep this succinct. Um, but, yeah, there's just this really, really great moment towards the end. And then I honestly, I was kind of out of the movie for about, like, 10 minutes because he eventually finds his girlfriend, I think they were just like, um, boyfriend, girlfriend when they had the kid and he finds her and she's working in like, I don't really know what to call it because they don't exist anymore, but it's like, I only know, I've only seen this in one other movie and it's a French movie. So I thought it was like a weird European sex thing, but it's like one of those things where like you sit in a booth and there's like a one-way mirror in front of you so you can see in and there's like a stripper on the other side and they can talk to you through like a phone that you can talk to them with, but they can't see you. So you're free Discord. to... Basically, <laughs> I guess. <yeah. laughs> That's a Discord of the, the yonder years. Uh, it's what P.B. Herman got caught in. Yeah, uh, not not exactly. That was like an actual movie theater. <laughs> I don't know what you call those. I don't know what what you would call these things. But basically, she works in one of those. She's one of the strippers in one of these one way mirror strip joints. And so, uh, he basically finds her. There's like this really really great like scene for about like five minutes where it's him and his kid, and they're in Houston and. He found out from the, the kid's foster mom that, like, she 
the the girlfriend deposits like money on the fifth of every month into like a bank account for the kid. You know, sometimes it's five dollars, sometimes it's fifty dollars. It's just it changes, but she deposits it on the fifth of every month. And so they book it down to Houston and they stake out this bank for like a day, but they fall asleep, which is a big moment because Travis hasn't slept for like the entire movie. Don't ask me how. This is metaphorical. He just never sleeps. I don't think it's humanly possible to go four years without sleeping, but who knows? Maybe. Um, but he falls asleep, and so the kid just barely, like, sees the, the mom as she's, like, leaving. And there's, like, this tense chase where he wakes his dad up, and they have to find her, and they're going on the freeway, and there's two cars of the same make, of the same color, and they're like, oh, well, one's going, one's taking the exit, one's going straight. Are you sure this is the right car? And the kid's like, yes, I think it's the right car. And so then they... It's just very tense because then they follow the car all the way to this one-way mirror strip joint. There has to be a better word for it, but they follow her there, and then it turns out to actually be her, so the kid was correct. But then he finds out what the, the mom was doing, and he basically just gets drunk and sad for like five minutes, and that's when I was out. I'm like, okay, this is... Is this just going to be really sad? Because I know that this movie is described as bleak. And I'm like, is that the end? Is that the end? Like, there's there's no satisfying conclusion, which I guess, you know, that's that's how life is. But, you know, I was going, I was rooting for this guy and I was rooting for the kid. And, like, I didn't really want, like, the mom and Travis to, like, get back together or anything. I just, like, wanted to know that, you know, everything was going to be fine. Um, but it's just like, he gets really sad and he starts drinking and like the kid is like kind of being neglected because Travis is drinking a lot and like this, I don't like this so much, but then there's like this really satisfying thing in the end. He goes back to the, the one way mirror strip joint. Um, and they have like a really, really great, there's like a 10 minute scene where, um, Travis basically like recounts how they met and like just their entire story, like using like the third person and he like turns his chair and faces away cause he can't look at her while he's saying all of this. And it's, it's kind of rough, but that's, that's how it is. Like, I mean, this happened a while ago, but even then, like he was like in his, late thirties, early forties. And she was like 17 when they met gross. Uh, and then they had a kid. And so she was really, really young and he was older and yeah, it was just not a great situation. I don't want to go through all of it, but it's just this really great scene where like he kind of lays the whole cards out. It's like, what a worse movie would have as exposition in the very beginning, but this movie does it really well in that it is, you know, you're you're basically withheld that information throughout the entire movie. It's keeping you guessing. It's keeping you invested in what's happening because there's so many questions that aren't answered. Um, 
and it finally gets laid out, and then there's, you know, she ends up talking to him, and she, like, is up against the wall where the mirror is. She's just holding the microphone, talking to him, so they aren't even looking at each other. They're just talking to each other through the speakers, and, you know, she, once they finish talking, she runs back to the room, and he's gone. It's basically a situation where he's like, okay, I don't, I don't really know how to feel about this ending, but he's like, hey, the kid is in this hotel room, in this hotel, you know, you should go see him. And so he drives across the street to a parking garage, parks up top. He sees that they get back together, they hug, and then he leaves. And I'm like, she, uh, she got, like, didn't want to raise the kid. Because she was not in a great situation. And so you just basically pawned off the kid on her and then just dipped. Um, I don't think that's exactly how it's supposed to read. But it was like, oh, oh, I don't know if that's how that should have ended. But uh, I don't know. There's something just so uniquely human about this movie that um, wouldn't be in like a huge Hollywood movie. Even then, uh, especially now, because it, it does something really interesting and in that your main character, not necessarily super likable. Um, I mean, you're rooting for him the whole time, but you're, you're basically rooting for like a blank slate through most of the movie. And then once you figure out who he is, not a super great guy, um, you're mostly rooting for the kid. Cause you want the kid to be fine and you want, and you want the mom to be fine too, of course. But yeah, it's just, it's a really interesting human movie. I would highly recommend it. It's not too artsy. There's not too many shots of motorcycles driving in the desert. I don't think there's any shots of a motorcycle in a desert. Actually, it's a big, big plus on my book. There are shots of the desert. Uh, but it is it's just gorgeously captured. I saw a Letterboxd review that compared it to, like, John Ford Westerns, how he would capture the desert. I've only seen Stagecoach, but I would say that is true. John Ford was very, very good at composition, uh, and this movie also does that. So I would highly recommend it. I don't think I've seen any of the filmmakers' other movies. Uh... Let me see who did it. It's Wim Wenders, which is a great name. Uh, he did. But yeah, I haven't seen any of these, unfortunately. Wings of Desire is the only one I recognize out of this. So, yeah, check out Paris, Texas. I think even if you got this far and haven't seen it, and I just said all of that, I still think there's something to be gained here, and it's it's one that I'm going to rewatch at some point. I'll probably get the Criterion release eventually, and then rewatch it, because, wow, this is a great movie. And I didn't even talk about um, Harry Dean Stanton, who is the lead in this movie. He's never the lead. But speaking of David Lynch, he is a frequent David Lynch alum. He is in uh, Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me. And I think Twin Peaks Season 3, he's the trailer park guy. Okay. The guy who says, come back, it's like 9 a.m., it's too early or something. That guy. Yeah, and then he's, Season 3, like, sees the gold orb float out of the dead kid that just got ran over. 
Oh, <laughs> I don't remember that, but I assume it's very vivid. I remember a kid getting hit. I just don't yeah. remember Harry Dean Stanton looking at an orb. Uh, but yeah, he's always like that guy. He's a weird kind of character actor guy. Never in the lead. Always like a weird side character. Um, I think he's in. Um, I think he's in Lost Highway too. Another David Lynch movie. Um, I think he's been in one other one. I don't remember. I don't think it's Mulholland Drive. It's one of them. But it was just nice to see him in a lead role, and he is phenomenal in it. He is great. Everyone in this movie is great. But I just thought it was I'm like, oh, he's a lead. I, I need to see this movie. So there you go. That is Paris, Texas. Check it out. I'm not even going to tell you what the name of the movie means. It's just Paris, Texas. You'll understand it like an hour into the movie. And then you'll really get it towards the end. But, yeah. Uh, Overall, this desert marathon has been interesting, but unnecessary. We learned a lot. (laughs) We learned a lot. Um, Yeah, I think... In terms of marathons go, I thought this would have been interesting. Um, Really, I think it it would make more sense for this marathon format to be covering a theme or a genre or something like that. Like, the horror movie marathon made sense. I had a very specific goal in mind, and that we were going to be covering horror throughout the years. It was going to be a long journey of this genre that I've been wanting to get into. Uh, This marathon didn't necessarily do that, and it just basically gave me an excuse to watch Western's post-apocalypse movie in Paris, Texas, um, which was not the goal, but that's what I got out of it. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure what to say about movies that take place in the desert. I guess we could go into the symbolism of what that means, but who cares? I think, um, well, it's just kind of hard. I'm trying to think now because basically the desert has meant something different in like all of the genres that we've covered. But I do think that there is something to be said about both. I think actually the like winter genre and the desert genre have more similarities than they do differences. And that you, for the most part, you're isolated in extreme temperatures. Um, although, you know, just the opposite. So, yeah, I mean, I've seen Westerns set in, in the winter time. I have seen the hateful eight and boy, oh boy, is it cold outside. Can't even leave that one cabin. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen The Revenant. I know that one also takes place in the winter. And then Leonardo DiCaprio, like, does that thing that Han Solo does in episode five and hides in a bear. Yeah. I think that's what happens in that movie. Just give him a kiss. I think that's what happens. I think so. 
The only other thing I know about that movie, I mean, obviously I got Leo his Oscar, but I think it came out around the same time that The Dark Knight Rises came out, and Tom Hardy is in both of those movies, and you can't understand him in either of those movies, because in Dark Knight Rises, he's Bane. He's just... Batman. <laughs> and then I think in The Revenant, he's doing like this weird like cowboy accent that no one can understand. So like, I remember there being jokes around that time where it's like, does Tom Hardy know how to say words? Cause no one can understand <laughs> what he's saying whenever he talks. Uh, and then he proved them all wrong when he made five Venom movies. So look who's laughing now. But yeah, I don't know what we're going to be doing next week or, uh, what future marathons have in the store. If you have ideas for some, feel free to drop them in the comments or write a review for this podcast and put it in the review or send us an email somewhere. Our, our business email is out there somewhere. Send us a business email of potential uh, marathon topics, and I would appreciate it. Or just put it in the comments. Yeah, either or. I just like getting emails, I think, is <laughs> what it comes down to at the end of the day. Well, the emails we get are for promoting music. Yeah, that is true. And I never sell out. Frankly, I resent anyone that has a NordVPN sponsorship. I'll listen to your music, but I'm not making a video. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's good. I haven't listened to any of them. I don't think I have either. Yeah. Sorry. My bad. Sorry. But that'll do it for me. I do have a little bit of music news uh, when we get there, but I'll just toss on over to Babby for now for his segment. Yippee. Um, we'll start with Chelsea Wolf. Okay. That came out this week. Uh, Chelsea Wolfe released a new album. Uh, the title is She Reaches Out to She Reaches Out to She. Mm. I think it's supposed to be like a circle thing. It reads kind of awkward. Um, but it, it's very different than the two Chelsea Wolfe albums I've heard. I've heard Abyss and His Spun. We've done His Spun on the channel. We did uh, do that. A banger of an album. Um, this one's very different. Uh, she is going full dark wave on this one. Um, a lot of industrial elements too. So it, it's a very different experience. Uh, one that I think works out for most of it um, is very subtle. I don't think this is one where it's like there's anything that pops out, especially going into it where I'm like, I know what Chelsea Wolf sounds like, at least on two of her records, and this is not what I got. Um, it's a lot more subdued. It's a lot more kind of based on a vibe and an atmosphere more than a driving force of track. I think that works for most of these here. There are points where it kind of dips into like, uh, you kind of like tune out because there's not enough of a backbone. I mean, I love music that is just kind of like lets it ride, but I feel like there's a couple spots on here that get a little bit, uh, stale, but there are also parts that are pretty fantastic. Um, I think House of Self Undoing is fantastic. Everything Turns Blue is great. Um, Tunnel Lights is a trip hop song. We just did uh, Port His Head 
two weeks ago. We and I mentioned that. in that video that she reminded me of how Chelsea Wolf uh, goes on a song and then Chelsea Wolf made a trip hop song. Uh, I feel like this happens to us more often than not. It's just kind of scary. Um, <laughs> but very good song. Um, Eyes Like Nightshade. I know not a lot of people are a fan of that one, but I, I enjoy it. I dig it. Uh, I think my favorite song, though, was Place in the Sun, um, apart from Dusk. Dusk is, like, I think it was the first single to this record, and it's still it still bangs. Um, but Place in the Sun is fantastic. Um, a lot more of, like, a, I don't know, it reminds me of a really slow Lana Del Rey song, but mixed with, like, a lot of edge. And that works for me. Okay. Even though Lana Del Rey oftentimes doesn't. So Whoa. I don't know how that works. But, uh, yeah, this is a pretty interesting project. I feel like there's not a whole lot to say about it. You kind of just have to put it on. Um, it's definitely more of a, I don't know, don't expect any fireworks. But I think there's a lot of nice details here. Um, and I really like this route she's going. Um, I'd be interested to see if she kind of pushes this forward because... I feel like there's definitely a lot of these genres that work really well with her voice. I love when she did more of like a, you know, gothic rock. She did that post metal on his spawn a little bit. Um, she's digging into some industrial here. I'd love to hear more industrial from her. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't realize she's like 11 albums deep. Um, her first record was 2006. Whoa, so, really? Yeah. I was surprised. Um but it feels like she really started hitting her strive and like her, her stride in like 2011 kind of started going from there. But yeah, a uh, decent, decent record. I enjoyed it. Not too much else to say about it. Um, but yeah, check it out if that's of any interest to you. Um, I think the only other new thing besides uh, <laughs> to be named thing later. Wow. Um, oh, I need to talk about this. Caroline Polachek released a uh, remix to Butterfly Net. Butterfly Net was my favorite song off of Desire. Oh. Uh, and this remix is featuring Wiseblood. Oh. Which is crazy. Um, it's very cool. I didn't really like it at first, to be honest, because it's not very reminiscent of Butterfly Net. Um, but on the further lessons, I'm like, this is pretty great. Uh, it's a lot more stripped back, I feel like. Both of them are like some of my favorite vocalists out currently. Yeah. Um, and they work really well together. Um, there's, it's very like kind of slow build. They each do their own thing. Uh, the instrumental is very subdued. You still get some of the elements, but you don't get the big like guitar breaks or anything that that song has. Um, but then they start doing some really nice like uh, trade offs and duets at the back. Um, there's like this really cool like polyrhythmic thing they do with their vocals. Um, that turns out really, really, really good. So check that out because that is cool. Um, I, I know that uh, Wiseblood has like turned up to a lot of like Caroline Polachek concerts and they've done a couple of performances together, I think. Um, so I'd love to see them work together more. I think that would be like a, a super team. Yeah. Because they both kind of dominate that genre currently in the modern era. But mm. that is great. Check that out. Um, and then the other song I listened to this week, uh, man, this person has like an awful name. Uh, Billy Woods hops on a lot of different things, and they're often like very underground stuff, which I really enjoy because I get to check out new stuff. Uh, but this one's by Old Burger Beats is his name. 
Okay. Yes, he makes beats, and his name's Old Burger. Uh, oh. But Black Sabbath with Billy Woods and the God Fahim. Uh, pretty decent. Uh, I like the production. It's kind of jazzy, but kind of digitized. Um, it's still got that kind of dusty, lo-fi type production, sample-heavy type thing. Um, pretty decent. I Just to shout it out, I don't think I have really anything to say about it. It's just a decent song. Um, but yeah. That's all the new stuff besides the thing I'll get to. Mm -hmm. Uh, So do your stuff first before I start going off the rails. Oh, okay. Uh, Well, I was just going to bring up that uh, Casey Musgraves is back uh, since, was it 2021 was the last one? I think so. Star-Crossed. Neither of us really liked that album. Yeah, that seems to be the general consensus. Yeah. Uh, Golden Hour, I like a lot. I don't know. I I don't know how you feel about it. There were certain songs I remember was very fond of. Okay. Something well, with a rainbow in it. Uh I think that's just called Rainbow. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, I went back to that album because she's coming back uh with her album Deeper Well coming out in uh about a month on March fifteenth, I think. Um She's released one single. It is the title track, Deeper Well, and it is very nice. It is not as overproduced and uh, bombastic as uh, Starcrossed could be. It's more, more stripped back, more, I guess, more like Golden Hour, but it, it seems to be dipping more into, like, mm, I want to say more like contemporary indie folk than anything country. This seems to be more like a folklore situation. That's kind of the vibe I get from it. Um, and I like I like the song. I've been listening to it pretty often, and I like it. So that's coming out. I hope out. it's a return to form. I hope so too. I think I don't think anybody really liked Starcross. I remember. For like two years, there was a bunch of vinyl of those just oh, yeah. unsold. Every record store we go into, there's a whole wall of them for like 20 bucks. Yeah. It I was did. a cool vinyl too because it split down the middle and everything, but just yeah. nobody wanted the album. Yeah. I thought about it because like it was like 15 bucks. Yeah. Like they were just trying to get rid of them. But I'm like, nah, I don't really like that album. So yeah, I hope this one's good. I do. I do like me some Casey Musgraves from time to time. Just her album covers album. are awful. That's true. Besides, besides the last three, last even her face is kind of weird in the new one. But I the don't last understand. Three is so much of an improvement compared to the early ones. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Golden Hour is probably the best one. Yeah. Uh, this one is so weird. I don't understand her facial expression at all. It's very weird. Uh, yeah, I don't understand. Like she got some lip work done too. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. I don't know what, um, yeah, I don't know what she's going for there, but I've, I also listened to Bebi Doobie's Beatopia. Yo. Uh, well, not all of it. I listened to like the first three or four tracks. I'm like, we should react to this one. Yeah. So it's pretty good. So I added it to my wheel. I like, I like what I heard though. So maybe we'll do some Bebi Doobie in the future, but that's it for me. Cool. All right, um, this is gonna be very unstructured, and I'm just gonna like start going in different directions. That's fine. So, 
That's uh, fine. I, I am not listening to this. Yeah, no, I wasn't going to listen to it. That's the thing. But people were so annoying about this that I couldn't live my life without listening to it to have a justified reason to feel the way I feel about things. Wait, wait, wait. Did he change the album cover? Yes, he did. Wow. I think there was a hockey mask on it for yeah, a while. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. Now there's not a hockey mask on it. Um, so we're talking Vultures 1. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Mr. West and <laughs> Ty Dolla Sign. Um... This came out, I think, Saturday morning on yeah. everything except Spotify, and then it came to Spotify in the afternoon for some reason. I think that's just how Kanye releases things now, because Donda was the same thing, I think. It was like a Sunday at like 4 a.m. or something. Um, whatever stupid thing. Um, <laughs> but it came out. I wasn't going to listen to it, because uh, I know it was going to be pretty awful, and there's not really anything I need from Kanye anymore. I feel like uh, I'm done with him. Um, That's probably for the better. I think it is. <laughs> um, but everybody was so, so annoying about this album. I'm going to get into all of this stuff later, probably. I need to go through the music first. Um, but everybody was gassing it up. People were saying it was great, uh, that it was fun. It had a lot of bangers on it. There was some killer features. Um so I'm like, all right, I feel like this is not true, but I need to check it out before I can be like a hater. Um, Cause you can't hate for no reason. That's just dumb. <laughs> um, so I listened to it on Sunday. I listened to it like one and a half times. Cause after the first time I'm like, I never want to do that again. And then I did it again a little bit later just to say if I see if I was justified in not wanting to do it again. Um, there are 16 songs. 55 minutes. Man, that was 55 minutes. Oh my God. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess we'll just start at the top. Uh, Stars is the first track. I think Peggy is on four productions on this record, if yeah, I'm not wrong. I think so. Um, he's on Stars. I can't tell that he's on Stars, but he's on Stars. Um, I'm looking at Genius to see if I know where his credit ends up. Uh, he has a writing credit. How was there 16 writers on this song? Um, but yeah, Beats, Kanye, Digital Nas, and Peggy on production. Uh, it's using the same kind of like dark gothic um, kind of gospel-y instrumental that he was doing a lot on Donda. Except, and this is where the issues begin, <laughs> this mix is awful. I know people get really mad when people talk about mixes a lot, but I, I noticed it immediately. Everything is so flat and you can hear like the graininess and the almost clipping nature of the instrumental. Um, the vocals are like crystal clear, but the instrumental is so like grainy and flat that it immediately pulls you out. Um, so that immediately was like, okay, oh God. Um, the, the actual instrumental sounds nice. It's fine. But again, you're not getting the full experience of it because it is so flat and noisy. Like it's, it's not satisfying to the ear. Um, and I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll see where this goes. It, it, it sets up the cinematic moment. Like you're getting introduced to an experience. He does this on most of his records. Um, 
I think another issue is that I don't know why this record exists. It doesn't feel like there's a motive for it. It doesn't feel like there's a story to it. Usually with the Kanye project, there's a at least an underlying motif or you know aesthetic that he's going for. I don't see it on this album at all. Um, and people are not going to like me after this review, probably, but it's fine. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> I liked Donda a lot. I thought while that record is very flawed, I think there was a really great artistic statement made into it, um, perhaps unintentionally by the artist making it because you could see his like deterioration like getting more rapid as that album was being made. And I feel like that was the last thing he had left in him before everything just kind of fell apart, um, as we saw with Donda 2, which just remains an unfinished album on a uh, sampling device that you have to buy to listen to it. Um, so I'm like, okay, what is he even going to be talking about on this record? I still don't know. Nobody says anything on this album. <laughs> no, they're just saying words, and they're not even saying it clever. Um, there's, there's a Jew, there's a Jew joke uh, in the first verse within the first thirty seconds of this album. Of course, there is. So there's a lot of that going on. Um, Apparently you got a sample from Dijon on here. Couldn't tell. I can't tell what anything is on this album. Um, so that song was okay. I mean, cool. It's a fine intro. Keys to My Life does the same thing as the last song. Dark, cinematic, gospel, cinematic, building type feeling to it. Um, you don't need this song. You already have an intro. Uh, you got Timbaland on production here. The drums are so blown out. It makes me so mad. <laughs> These drums... <laughs> Sound like you, re- you took your iPhone and you recorded it off your computer speaker and then just put it in the mix and didn't do anything to it. It sounds so bad. Um, he has a bar about Papa John's that was kind of funny. I, I kind of like that line. That's funny. Um, and this is where the album starts switching a lot for some reason. Kanye has an off-key first verse, and then Ty Dolla Sign comes into the chorus. It's the first time we get Ty Dolla Sign in the album. Um, but the beat does this thing where it like reverses and switches, and now we're in a completely different beat. Uh, it does not match the chorus that Ty Dolla Sign's doing at all. We get another Kanye verse, uh, and then it switches into like this really weird outro it that seems completely disconnected from the song i like switch ups a lot i like when things are dynamic but there's no use for any of it being dynamic in this song and none of it feels satisfying or justified um this record is also unintentionally hilarious so the next song is paid uh this is the first song where it feels like people are actually awake um and the <laughs> first thing you hear is the, the chorus of Ty Dolla Sign saying, I'm just here to get paid over and over again. That's fair. That's exactly that's awesome. Yeah. And I'm like, this is this is fantastic. Uh he's putting his motive right out in front. I don't think that was intentional, but that wow. came across really funny. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> Respect. Yeah. Um I think Ty Dolla Sign does do the best on this record overall. Well sure. Um Kanye has the worst verse I've ever heard on this song. Ty Dolla Sign does, you know, the chorus or whatever. And then Kanye comes in really off key in a weird baby whiny voice. Um, yeah. I don't, this is going to destroy me. I don't like this. This is like me talking about Easy Rider. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was like laughing when you were doing that because I'm like, this is going to be the same thing that I'm going to do later. Um, Talking's the next song. This was a single that came out the day before. It has Northwest on it. Um, oh. I don't like this track. This like uh, this trend of rappers putting their kids on songs. Is this a trend? It's not. Yeah, because Drake did it on oh. something. Um, yeah, I don't get it. I, it doesn't need to be a thing. I know Westside Gun does it too. I still don't like that either. Um, yeah, I don't need. Like she has an actual verse, and it's like in the middle of the song. Oh, yeah, and it's not great. Um, I mean, it sounds like a child rapping, so you can imagine. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's kind of cute, but it doesn't need to be here. She's going really slow, and I feel like the beat had to accommodate for her, so it's like very kind of woozy and understated. Um, the sample chops are okay here, but it's really not anything to be, you know, happy about. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> so after this song with his own daughter, Back to Me is next. Um, there was a snippet, I think, in January that they were playing at some music festival and previewing this song. And the one line that stood out to everybody and became a meme was Kanye said, beautiful, naked, big titty women don't just fall out the sky, you know. <laughs> This was the line where people were like, oh, this album's going to be garbage. What did Kanye do with this? He made it the chorus mm-hmm. or like a refrain. Mm-hmm. And it sounds so bad. It's, oh my God. So this song is a mess. This song is such a mess. It's so hard to even talk about this album. Um, the beat's garbage. These drums, again, are so overblown. You've been doing this for, like, how many decades and you can't figure out how to just put drums in a mix correctly. They're clipping. It sounds so bad. Um, Ty Dolla Sign does pretty good on the song. Kanye ruins it, like, three times, I think. Um, every time he comes on the song, he ruins it. And then we do the whole beautiful big titty butt naked women chorus, which is <laughs> not a sentence I thought I'd ever say. Um, and then Freddie Gibbs is on this song. Oh, when I tell you Freddie Gibbs sounds like Jesus, I have no idea. (laughs) The level of quality here just goes from like a 16 year old making beats in garage band to the God, the the ghost of Tupac coming on your song. (laughs) It is such a stark change in quality. I was like, oh, my God. And Freddie Gibbs should not have gone this hard on this album. It doesn't deserve to be on this album because it is so good compared to everything else here. (laughs) Um, It's really stark. It's a bizarre thing to listen to. Uh, Yeah, this verse is flawless. Um, Wow. Yeah, it's it's insane. Uh, (laughs) Where's the line about? Okay, so there's a lot of Elon bars on this. On this, uh, yeah, on this I saw album. that. Yeah, um, Freddie Gibbs has the best one. Uh, just turned a bird bitch to my ex like I was Elon. That's a bar. <laughs> Everything else that is related to Elon in this record is trash. But <laughs> you know, I'll take that. Hood Rat is garbage. I'm not even going to talk about Hood Rat. Um, that song is over by the time you hear the beat. It's ugh. Um, do it actually pretty decent. Uh, I think do it is, 
you know, it's a Ty Dolla Sign song and it works decently. Um, I think this is the lane Ty Dolla Sign kind of thrives in. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's okay. I'm not going to listen to it again though. Uh, paperwork, garbage. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to break this thing down when I'm like, wait a minute, this one sucked. This one sucked. <laughs> um, Burn is one that everybody was saying is fantastic. Uh, the, I mean, the beat, the beat loop's pretty great. Is it mixed well? No, it's still pretty flat and feels out of place compared to the vocals. Um, but it's okay. Uh, I think Kanye has some pretty awful lines on here. Uh, he keeps calling himself R. Kelly, which is not really a look you want to do. Didn't he call himself um, Bill Cosby too? He did. Yeah. That's yeah. a different song. He, re- he, re- he references R. Kelly twice, <laughs> um, which is cool. Uh, fuck something is next. Um, this was one that everybody was going crazy over too. Cause it's got Cardi and Travis Scott on it, which oh, they do. Okay. Um, you know, so I was expecting like some off the grid quality stuff because that song's <laughs> fantastic. And mm-hmm. I'm like, come on, you got to do something when you have Travis Scott and playboy Cardi. Like that's, you have all, all of the pieces to make a banger here. Yeah. Um, again, the mix is so awful. I hate to keep talking about it, but it is so flat. It takes any enjoyment out. You don't get any reverberation from the heavy bass coming in. There's no dynamic play happening here. I'm like convinced that everybody's listening to this on like their iPhone speaker or through like $20 computer speakers. Cause I don't understand how people don't like hear this right away. Um, play Ricardi does pretty well. It, you know, it's, it's okay. I, I don't think it's nearly as good as people are thinking it. This whole album gives off like tech bro vibes where they think they're being like really cool and edgy, but it just comes off kind of pathetic since this is like a 40 something year old man who's doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can make like crude lyrics and you can do like crude, funny, jokey, edgy bars. Like mm-hmm. look at scaring the hose last year. Yeah. That album's fantastic. It's clever. It's fun. Uh, you can do all that. I don't care. I'm not offended by any of the lyrics here. It's so just like poorly written and executed that it's like it makes you just roll your eyes. It's not like anything clever. It's so bad. Um, the title track, uh, this came out, I think, in January. People really hated this track. And, yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> um, I don't want to talk about that. Carnival. Carnival is everybody everybody said Carnival is at least, you know, that's that's the best song on the record. That's the banger. Um Rich the Kid and Play by Cardi on it. It has a uh like a football chant chorus, mm-hmm. which not great. Um Yeah. I mean the bass is okay. JPEG Mafia is on this one as well. Uh, he, I think he's on the baseline here. It sounds like a Peggy baseline. That's the issue is like Peggy, you couldn't really tell if he's on this record and his contributions honestly were not really that great. Um, because he's not actually making beats that he makes. He's just helping like six other producers make one beat. So he's pretty much on just drums or like an electric baseline. Um, Mm. and that's pretty much it. Not to mention, like, there's, like, I don't know, six, eight writers on these songs, and the lyrics are really bad for the most part. Um, Playboy Cardi does well, again. 
Uh, we got another Elon Barr from Kanye in here. This is the one where he says he's yay, kill, yay Kelly and he's Bill Cosby. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, his verse is awful on this because he, like, sets himself up with, like, this, like, super, like, the instrumental gets really energetic and you start getting these, like, chants going around. Um, and all of a sudden, like, he comes in and he's just saying nothing. Like... It's the most awkward thing ever. It's like he set himself up for have to have like the biggest, most monumental moment of the record, and he has one of his worst verses. And it's like <laughs> the flow isn't even good. It just sounds like he's stumbling through his own beat. Um, it's really, really, it's kind of sad. <laughs> I don't understand. I feel like people are like lying to themselves. I feel like this is like a mass hysteria event. I don't understand how a lot of people were like, "Yeah, this is great." Um, Ty Dolla Sign also raps on this song, which is fine, but like the way his auto tune is, it's like some artists that have to have that auto tune on constantly. When they're not like singing or doing their usual thing, that auto tune sounds really weird, and you get this really weird dissonance going on in the actual effect. He sounds really, I don't know, sounds like nasally almost, but it's because of the effect that's on him. Um, yeah. Beg forgiveness. Uh, I don't remember the song, honestly. Um, <laughs> I do like Good Don't Die, track 14. This is the only song I gave a like. Um, I thought the beat was really nice on this. It's kind of like a driving, almost electronic uh, beat. Really nice kind of uh, background vocals on it. It's very smooth. Ty Dolla Sign does fantastic on it. Um, and Kanye doesn't really ruin it because there is no like verse. It's more of a song and less of like a rap song. It's more of a, a soulful kind of cut. Uh, so this is actually pretty good. Mix still is bad, but I can forgive it on this one because, you know, it actually sounds pretty good and flows pretty well. Um, so enjoyed that one. I'll take that. Uh, then we have Problematic, which, I mean, mm -hmm. if, if you name your song Problematic, I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not, it's so bad. <laughs> Uh, this is the one where he says, I'm not racist, it's a preference. It's always a great line to hear. Uh -huh. um, yeah. I don't know. I feel like most of his like lyrical content on this album is about how bad he is for like blowing up his entire, like all of his brand deals and uh, his family ties and all of this. And then he's just talking about it. It's It gives off Elon energy mm. where he's just like trying, trying so hard to look cool. And anybody over the age of like 17 can see that this is like a 45-year-old dude who has just pretty much blown up his entire life. He is severely mentally ill and refuses to get treatment for it. And he's just gone so far off the deep end. It's like a car crash. You kind of just have to like, you, you don't want to look, but you just keep looking. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the sad part of this. I don't feel bad for him because he's given, he's had like a million chances, um, but it does get a little sad. Um, and then you have, I don't know, his fan base is getting like more and more. I mean, as you, you know, when you do those kind of antics, you start splitting your fan base up to a part where it gets like so locked tight with the biggest like weirdos and freaks that it's very hard to have a genuine like response to this record or even genuine like discussions about it without um, just the most ugh, stupid teenager immature discussions um, ever. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, problematic, not good. King, uh, I think Pe- Peggy's on production for this one as well. Um, man, I need everybody to just listen to King right now and hear how bad this beat sounds. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a tin can. I don't understand how you mess this up this bad. Um, yeah, this is bad. This is awful. His, his lyrical content on the song, too, is like, he goes crazy, bipolar, anti-Semite, and I'm still the king. Uh, and that's his main premise for this song. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, this record is awful. It really is. Like, I'm not even like, I'm not a, I'm not a Kanye hater. I love most of Kanye's albums. Um, I'm not even like an old Kanye guy. I thought Donda was really great. But I feel like he's hit a point now where... It is just kind of sad, um, and all the all the pushback from people saying that this album is not good or it's unfinished or uh, all of that is just met with like se- separate art from the artist. Um, you can't do that with Kanye. You've never been able to do that with Kanye. No. So much of him is performance art as well as the art itself. I mean, look at Donda, the whole listening party thing, like living in a stadium for two months. Um, And when most of your lyrical content is about your life as well, like he makes these huge artistic strides and he pulls his whole life together for it. Like, listen to Jesus is King. You can't separate him from Jesus is King. You know that whole arc with him just like becoming this super diehard Christian guy and moving to a ranch. you have Yay, the self-titled one, which everybody knows was like after his whole bipolar diagnosis and that garbage. It, it, you have all of these that like have vital context to them that informs the music and enhances it. Um, I, and then for everybody to just be like, you have to disconnect it for this album specifically. It's kind of hard to, especially when he makes like a Jewish joke in the first verse of a song on the first song on the album. Um so much of this album is just him like trying to reassure himself that he is like still the king, even though he has blown up everything he has. And he's his list of collaborators is shrinking and shrinking. Um, I mean, I think it's a shame that Peggy is on this record. Yeah. Uh, not only because it completely goes against what he talks about in his music, which he has done, you know, times before. I expect that from Peggy, unfortunately. Um, the whole Arm and Hammer thing, it was really shady on Peggy's part. Um, it, but, I mean, it, it, it's such a weird uh, kind of album to review because, I mean, this whole... I like looking at the zeitgeist of things and I like looking back on like things as a whole instead of just focusing in on one album and I like to see where things are kind of going. Um, and just seeing all the praise for this thing on Saturday, it was really weird. And Sunday too. Um, I think Fantano finally posted his, he didn't do a review on it. He says it's unreviewable, which I agree with. Uh, I'm going to still review it though, because it is awful. Um, Where he's just, I didn't watch that video, but I think he's pretty much saying the same thing I'm saying here. Uh, Because as soon as he did that, he was like the internet's most hated man again. Um, But not a lot of people were like, hey, this album actually isn't good. Uh, I think just like anybody who has listened to a decent amount of music could put this on and be like, what on earth is this? This is just like the weirdest, like, 
it's the weirdest moment where everybody was like, this is great. And then you put it on and you're like, what on earth? This kind of felt like a uh, golden hour to Starcrossed in a much more dramatic sense. But you get the same thing where it's like, who mixed this album? <laughs> or what is happening here? Uh, you get the same kind of feel, except it's enhanced times 20. I mean, I wasn't sure what Kanye was even going to talk about on this record. I mean, what could you do? Like, since Donda and Donda 2, he pretty much embraced the whole anti-Semitic thing. He burned a whole bunch of brand deals. He officially divorced his wife and got together with a new woman who looks exactly <laughs> like Kim Kardashian. And, and apparently right doesn't clothes. wear clothes anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's really strange. He's, it, and I'm like, okay, you could do some kind of, I don't know, there's not even anything you can do about that. Like, there's no way to write an album around that because he's not sorry for anything he did. He's just falling deeper into this hole. So what you get is this very, very awkward mix of, like, Kanye West, the man who said all these things and doesn't back down and claims he's an anti-Semite on this record about three times and makes references constantly, uh, collaborating with Ty Dolla Sign, who was a feature artist, and it doesn't even feel like a Ty Dolla Sign album. He feels like an afternote. Like, sure, he's on all of these songs, but I feel like his contributions are kind of shadowed. Um, and the mixing is awful. The production choices, there's nothing new or inventive here. Usually he has a new idea or concept or something to carry on and kind of like elevate a sound. But I feel like he was just taking the vibe of Donda and trying to make it into whatever this is. And it led to really weird and just straight bad choices. Um, I, I was reminded a little bit of Angelic to the Core in certain points of this record because there were just some things that were so bizarre and laughable and I knew that they were unintentionally bizarre and laughable that just made it really, 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 really awkward. Um, yeah, this record is awful. <laughs> the fan base is getting even more annoying and horrible. Um, I think it's mostly teenagers and edgy people at this point. Um, given about how Kanye is now carrying himself and what he does and where he's at. Um, you can't separate the art from the artist on this record because he is all over this thing. Kanye is one of the biggest personalities on planet Earth. There's no way you can take that personality and that character out of an album just because you uh, know that it's controversial, the things he says. It's just really funny how quickly everybody forgave him and turned this thing on and is like, this is fire. Um <laughs> It's so bizarre to me because you look back at the things he was saying a year, year and a half ago, and it's just kind of insane how people forget that quickly. Um, and then we can look back at last year. We had this no-name record that came out that had a Jay Electronica feature on it um, that did have some very sus stuff in it. Um, but the way Jay Electronica writes is a lot more kind of cryptic and layered. Uh, and I feel like half the population wouldn't have known there's some really sus, like anti-Semitic uh, type stuff in that verse if people weren't freaking out about it. That's not to say it's a good thing. I think that was an awful choice still. Um, but it's just funny how someone can have a very veiled anti-Semitic kind of verse on one song on a record and have this entire, this like no name as an artist was like, chastised for this for like months and people like review bombed the album and said it was awful but then you have this come out and he's openly talking about this 
uh, anti-Semitic remarks and horrible writing and a horrible mixing and horrible production, and people don't care. They're like, this is great. It's so interesting to see that culture shift. And I think the consumption habits are just like people just take, 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 and don't ever give thought to what anything is. I mean, that No Name record, I think, is still fantastic. Like, it's a bad decision to have that J Electronica verse on it, and she did fight for it, which, again, don't agree with her there. But the rest of the record is pretty great and pretty spot on. Um, and then you have, like, the Super Bowl this weekend, and uh, <laughs> you get the all, all the stupid stuff coming from that, and you have No Name doing the song about the Super Bowl on the last record, and it rings so true to what this weekend was. Um, it's, it's just, it's a very interesting moment right now because I don't know, this record gives me really bad vibes. The whole, uh, kind of zeitgeist around it gives me really bad vibes. Um, and I, I get that it's like, this is mostly online stuff. It doesn't really matter. Um, but it's just so bizarre. Like when I, when a Drake record comes out, I listen to the record. I'm like, oh, this isn't that great, but whatever. I don't care. I'm not really a Drake fan anyways. I'll still check it out. But it's like when this comes out, it's like there's so much weight on a record like this, and it's so awkward and annoying. And I think just all of this happening within like the last couple days is just really, really, really bizarre. Um, You get the whole Super Bowl, and you get these like – I think there was like – uh, ads by the Israeli government playing during the Super Bowl, just blatantly. Oh, what's um, Yeah. And, like, they started bombing the one refuge in uh, in Gaza that they said people would be safe in, like, during the Super Bowl intentionally because people's eyes were off of it. And then you get Joe Biden posting, like, the weird, like, red-eye picture during that event yeah. while the Super Bowl is happening, and everybody's freaking out because Taylor Swift's on their screen. And everybody's having a discourse about whether the Nazi uh, that made a, a rap album is good or not. All of this happening at one moment is just you just take a step back and you look at this and it's like, what is happening right now? Like everything's kind of like falling apart and everything feels a little bit surreal at the moment. Um, so it was just an observation, but I'm like man, stuff sucks. Like <laughs> there's, a, there's a genocide ongoing and like us in the States are like, Oh my God, I love the Super Bowl. Oh my God. I love Travis Kelsey. And like all of this <laughs> is just getting shoved down your throat. And then you turn on, you know, the new Kanye album where you spit in anti-Semitic remarks and just like, I don't it's actually know. Pretty the most, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> this is great. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's Walter's one. <laughs> Apparently there's gonna be more of these. God help us all. Um, Yeah. Everybody is saying, like, you just don't get it yet, but in a few years from now, you're going to look back and be like, whoa. There's nothing new or creative about this record. Everybody's going to forget this album. This is such a drop-off in quality. Like, it's a severe drop-off in quality. Once the the rose-tinted glasses come come off and, like, Twitter moves on to the next stupid thing it goes and focuses on, um, people are going to forget about this and then, you know, there's only going to be a couple of weirdos and teenagers that have this near the top of their year-end list. If you enjoy the record, enjoy it, whatever. I just question what else you listen to. (laughs) This record sounds so bad. (laughs) I don't understand. And I'm I'm not, like, going out of my way to, like, play it in the car to see if the mixing sounds better. I know it won't. Um, But I don't know. 
this this album makes Utopia look like I don't know Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> like Fiend is better, like five times better than anything on this record. I think Fiend's fantastic. Like that's that's the dark trap kind of sound that this record's kind of going in, but it kind of perfects it, and it's fun and it's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I have to hype up Travis Scott, and it's kind of uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That it, that took a lot out of me. Um, so that happened. I didn't even want to listen to this album, <laughs> but I thought I should do my due diligence before I just be a hater. Um, That's fair. But yeah, if you want to experience pain, you can listen to it. I mean, I'm not tell me I'm wrong to. about any of the mixing or production choices. I feel like people need to open their ears a little bit. Um, but yeah, that that's uh, that's Walters. I gave it a twenty. That seems high. It's a little high. You just went off it, for like thirty minutes on it. You're yeah, giving it a there, there's a couple of there's a couple of production choices that are nice. Uh, they're very underdeveloped, but they're okay. Um, but uh, for context, I guess I I, I I like was curious about how my album ratings were for like uh, being bad. Um, you know, I should probably I should probably increase the score on Angelic to the Core because that was entertaining. Um, but yeah, Vultures is uh, lower than Certified Lover Boy and the Peppa Pig album we listened to. So just for context, I guess. Um, but yeah, this album's really bad. Wow. I like that. Uh, Rant over. Yeah, it's it's worse than Certified Lover Boy. Wow. It is, yeah. Way Too Sexy is better than anything on this album. Well, that we can agree with, and I don't like that song at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I was not going to listen to it. Now I'm not really not going to listen to yeah. it. But I mean, I'm not a huge Kanye guy in general. I've listened to the first three albums, and Dark Twisted Fantasy, and then Yeezus, which we did on our uh, channel way back in the day. I think that's the only Kanye thing we've done. I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like he's at a point now where there's not a lot of new fans coming in. I think he's just losing fans as he goes. Well, no, he's gaining the... the well, he's gaining some weirdos. Yeah, the Andrew Tate kind of war room yeah. type fellas. And teenagers that don't know what they're doing. Well, yeah. So. That's yeah. true. Eesh. Yeah, not good. Um, but... Thanks for listening to that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm interested to see how this record's going to shake out past the, you know, the released weekend. I feel like uh, <laughs> it's going to plummet a lot more after. Yeah. I get to go, haha, you people are delusional. Yeah, I feel like it's like the same thing, like Jesus is King, like the first couple of days, like people were really hot on it. And then yeah. like just so hard. It dropped off. Yep. And I feel like that's the case with, like, all of his stuff. <laughs> like, it feels like people are really hot on it for, like, a long time. Like, since, like, yeah. yay, you know? Well, that's because his strategy was, like, baiting you with dropping it and then not dropping it and then randomly releasing it. So then everybody is talking about it on a random time. That's true. It's, yeah, I don't think he intentionally does it. I think he literally works on it to the last second and then just, like, begs someone to put it on streaming platforms as quick as possible and then makes changes after it's uploaded. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he changed the album cover. 
Yeah. Ever Redondo. since I think EA was the last release where it was actually on time. And by on time, I mean it was out on a date that he said it was going to be out. It was <laughs> delayed still. Um, but I think everything after that was like random drops. Sunday at 2 a.m., you know, well, Saturday then, at 11. <laughs> well, wasn't Life of Pablo released like unfinished and then? Yes. He yeah. Had to fix it. Had to fix it. Yeah. Wow. I don't think there's a fix in this album, though. You could fix all the mixes on this thing, and I still wouldn't listen to it well, again. Well, he didn't so. fix the last one. No, he didn't. He didn't finish Donna 2, actually. Yeah. He sold it at a high price tag and then didn't finish it. Um, yeah. I feel like Don does a really weird album because, like, it turned out really well, but I feel like a lot of that is, like, unintentional. Like, he didn't mean for, like, <laughs> the storyline and the, the kind of uh, context around it to work as well as it did. Yeah, maybe. It's a really bizarre. I want to go back and listen to it again and just see how it is. But I feel like that's the last like Kanye record we're getting that's worth anything. Probably. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Unless he gets I, some I'm serious down, help at some point. He, I don't think he ever will. Yeah. I think he's on a downward spiral. He has been for a long time. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he has mental disorder. It's just like he's actively not treating it or getting help, and he's like doing the opposite and pushing everybody out. Yeah. No matter how stupid or weird it is, it's like, I don't know. It's sad. He's a he's a character. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I feel like if you're like a normal person, like there's no way to really like if you haven't listened to Kanye's music, there's not really a good way to like get into it now. I feel like it's really kind of stained and weird. Yeah. I mean, all those old albums are still fantastic, but it's like, it, it makes it sad because you can listen to some really fantastic music and then you kind of know where he's like ending up. Yeah. And it's, it's very unfortunate because Twisted Fantasy is still like, you know, one of the best hip hop records ever. Like mm. the, the, the amount of art direction and care and detail that has gone into like, I would say at least like seven or eight of his records is like beyond of what most artists can do. Um, and he kind of just is throwing it all away. It's 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 a tragedy, but yeah. So not everything's black and white. There's you know you can have discussions about things. Um, I know that's not how social media works, and that's unfortunate. And it's all based off of bait and reaction and clicks and all that stuff. But uh, it still gives me the need to like talk about it more in depth because all the stuff I'm seeing on it is just like brain dead takes and like purposely hot takes or you know yeah. stuff like that um and i know fantano gets a lot of hate but i think he i think you know the video on it is probably pretty good uh i think we probably share the same opinion on it which isn't always the case but yeah um yeah everybody can get mad at him whatever he's still right he's gonna be right for you know quite a bit i just hope that people can actually uh see that eventually <laughs> yeah so. That being said, I'm looking forward to Vultures 2 where we can do this again. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, say what you will about Fantano, he's a good critic. Like, yeah. you may not agree with his opinions on things. Like, I, 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 I don't know. It's about 50-50 with me and Fantano whether or not we agree on things. But, like, he does tend to, like, take the, the art form of criticism, like, seriously. Mm-hmm. And, like... I will always kind of respect him for that. Like he yeah, doesn't. I mean, he, I've, I've watched 
a lot of reviews and a, a lot, all of them are pretty much all well made. There's a couple of like ones that weren't yeah. and he's usually like gone back and redid them. I think of the mm. Mac Miller swimming review. Yeah. Like that was a pretty bad review, but he came back on it years later and like, you know, corrected it and mm. admitted he was, you know, not feeling, not feeling that one. Sure. Um, so it, yeah, it, I think him being a critic for so long, he he's able to kind of navigate this space really well, especially when it comes to artists like this. Um, I, I think you know he's definitely a read artist with very, let's say, reactionary politics before, sure. and there's a way to navigate it. Um, but you can't separate art from the artist. You can't do any of that. Everything is in context. Your brain knows all of this. Mm-hmm. You can't just turn it off. It's not something where you're like, I'm going to choose not to remember what Kanye has done. But I'm going to listen to this Kanye album. Yeah. It's not how things work, um, but yeah. So that was a that was that was one of the many freakouts of the past week. Uh, in, a, in a moment, Kanye always knows how to create a moment. It's just the moment this time <laughs> is just the most annoying moment ever. So yeah, yeah. I was kind of surprised that it actually dropped. I was like half I was expecting too. I was it too. to just disappear. I didn't see it come out on Friday, so I'm like, oh, it's probably not dropping this week. And I, I wasn't like, you know, waiting for it or anything like I did for Donda because that just drives you insane because the man's not, you can't take his word for anything. No. <laughs> but, and I wasn't even going to listen to the album and then everybody wouldn't shut up. <laughs> Fine. Fine. I got baited. <sighs> Disappointing. Oh, uh, well. Tune in. When Vultures 2 drops, and Babby will listen to it again. I'm so excited. (laughs) I hope it's another 16 songs. Yeah, whatever happened to his seven-track thing? I don't know. I kind of like that. I did, too. It did really good for Kids See Ghost and Yabel. Those are pretty great. I don't know. Should have stuck with it. He took the Drake formula. Just shove everything on there. Doesn't matter. You don't need to do that. That's not the right lesson to take from Drake. No. <laughs> there are some good lessons to take from Drake. Yeah. That's not one of them. No. No. The lesson is not overbloat every single album that you ever yeah. release. He's still learning how to do that. Yeah. Although I guess, honestly, never mind, it was like 10 songs. It was really boring, but he cut it down. So I'm proud of him for that. <laughs> Man. I haven't even listened to anything, Drake. I think my my opinion of him is just so far low because every time you review every single Drake record and every time you say how terrible it is, like I don't even know. Like the only well, and the only songs I've heard of him are like the bad ones. So yeah, I think "Way Too Sexy" is a banger. I'm gonna die on the hill. I, I think that's like that's how you do a fun, stupid song. I I disagree. Like, there's bad, bad songs, and there's good, bad songs. That's a fantastic bad song. <laughs> I would like it more if it wasn't as big as it is. Like, I've been on, yeah, like, party buses yeah, just, like, that play way too it. sexy. Yeah. I'm like, what? Who thought this was a good idea? Yeah. Like, it's a novelty at that. It is know? a novelty song. Yeah. It's not an actual party song. No. <sighs> but I digress. I digress. But yeah, we're doing uh, Lil Sims on the channel this week. So I'm excited. Stay tuned for some Lil Sims. Yeah, I've, I've not heard anything about it. Uh, I won't say anything. Oh. Um, 
I am excited to listen to it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Okay. I won't look into it at all. <laughs> I'll go into it blind. I did see it as 14 minutes. Yes. Um, we're going to talk about that after the podcast. Oh, okay. Well, then tune in to when we drop that video next week. But if you want, we did just release a video uh, for Speak for Yourself by Emotion Heap. Fantastic. Very good album. Give it a watch. I think it's pretty good. One of the first comments is just a time code for the what you say yeah, part. Yeah, I saw that. I'm like, <laughs> someone had to do it. <laughs> I wonder if they got to the part where I said that I hated that that has become a I'm thing. I'm sure they did. That oh. person watches this a lot, so I'm sure they Oh, is that? Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't check comments super often because most of the time it's just like, I like this Babby guy, but this Jerry guy has the worst opinion. <laughs> So I tend not to look at them, but I'm like, I like this album. Let's see what people have to say. I will say the number of that goes down with every new release we do. So Maybe it's just, I've just gotten so much better. Yeah. <laughs> you really have. I don't know if that's true. I think it's true. I, I don't want to watch our old videos, but I feel like we were definitely not great for the first couple of months at least. Um, yeah. That's another thing we might do. We might revisit some albums. Yeah, that was an idea that we threw around. Some updating for something. Yeah. I think that would be really fun. Who knows? Maybe a re-review of Angelic yeah. to the Core. Re-reaction. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we would get anything from that. No, just torture. Yeah, let's listen to the whole thing again. Yeah, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. No. Okay. I guess next week, I don't know what else, what, what we're going to have planned. I don't have anything set in stone now that the marathon is done. coming out this week. I don't think so. No, because we have MGMT the week after. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Hopefully somebody's surprise drops so we have something to talk about. Hopefully. That would be real awkward if we didn't have anything to talk about. Uh, uh, um, Future, please drop right now. I need a new album. He's been sleeping in the backseat of that limo for too long. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do a stupid tier list next week if there's nothing to talk about. Stupid. I don't know what the tier list will be of, but it'll be something. People like tier lists. I I like tier lists. I don't know what we would do it of. I don't know. Okay. Best like sock brand. I don't know. I would something like really stupid. I would not be an authority on that. I've worn the same socks since high school. Yeah, me too. (laughs) We'll think of something. (laughs) Okay, bye.